Media Masters with Paul Blanchard. Welcome to Media Masters, a series of one-to-one interviews with people at the top of the media game. Today I'm here in New York and joined by Bill Abbott, President and Chief Executive of Crown Media Family Networks. The company is owned by Hallmark Cards and is famous for its wholesome programming. Since joining the company in 2000, Bill has overseen a growth of the business, which now has three channels, a streaming service, ebook publishing and a podcast. And with a career spanning 25 years, he is an inductee of the Broadcasting and Cable Hall of Fame. He's also a board member of the American Humane Association, the International Radio and Television Society Foundation and the Video Advertising Bureau. Bill, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So, Bill, Crown Media Family Networks is one of the US's most successful entertainment companies. Where does it sit in a, in a very competitive media landscape? It is a competitive media landscape, and we are uh, very unique in that we are independent in terms of we don't have big a big conglomerate that owns us in the media world. But we have uh, a, a very large, two large cable networks, and one that's growing. Hallmark Channel and Hallmark Movies and Mysteries are among the top-rated uh, linear channels in, in the business. So we have uh, a very unique place in, in the landscape and we're very excited about uh, our success and about the future. Tell our listeners then about your media proposition, about the channels and the streaming service. What is it that you're doing? So uh, we are uh, first and foremost servers of the brand. Our brand is really, we believe, second to none in, in the entertainment business. Hallmark is a 110-year-old company that has a rich heritage not only in retail but with production with the Hallmark Hall of Fame being the wonderful library of the most award-winning, highest-rated series in television history. It's uh, It gives us the license to be in the television space. And when people think of Hallmark and entertainment, they think of the Hall of Fame. That has allowed us to launch three channels and a, and a streaming service that have a very distinct point of view and are very different in that we are uh, 24-7 appropriate for all members of the family, high-quality original content and something that you uh, definitely have uh, an emotional you – you gain an emotional attachment to our content. That's our goal. And, and with the contents approach, it's a question of if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, isn't it? But it's more about increasing the reach because you've launched a streaming service, the podcast. I mean, tell us how you're you're expanding your, your connections and your reach. Yeah, the landscape is changing so much and, and with uh, uh, viewers migrating more and more to over-the-top services, we feel it's important certainly to play that game. And, and given that our content is only available on, that we create is only available within the Hallmark brand. We thought that taking some of that content, starting a streaming service that would have this content would offer an alternative to both the cable viewer and the non-cable viewer was something that we needed to do and something we could be successful in, and we have been. So I was about to say, and how's that gone? How's the success manifested itself? So we have over 600,000 subscribers. Incredible. If you, if you kind of look at the landscape, you've got Netflix and Hulu and CBS All Access. They're kind of up here. And then you know, down below that, there are a couple of others in that three, four million game, and obviously you're getting Disney and others that'll be entering the equation. But below that, we're uh, we're right there in terms of being at the top of that next rug of uh, networks. And by far and away of all the general entertainment networks out there, we have the, the highest number of subscribers. I mean, all channel and, and media controllers strive for what you would call distinctiveness, brand values where you know what you're going to get when you turn the channel on. And it must be difficult when you're a generalist channel like CBS and, and, and NBC and so on. But with Hallmark, it is a distinctive proposition, is it not? That is the key to our success. Consistency and ensuring that viewers, and I think if you look at the landscape and who is successful in the landscape, those that do that well are the ones in the linear 
uh, landscape that are successful. HGTV, TV Food, FX, they're channels that you know what you're going to get when you turn them on. There are others who've lost their way, quite frankly, and have a wide variety of programming that you really don't know who they are. Uh, it's, a, it's a mantra at our company that we have to be consistent. Is there a typical Hallmark Channel story? I mean, because one of the creative challenges you might have is, like you say, you have this niche, you have this defined proposition, but you've also got to, uh, you know, at least partially reinvent it for every single movie and, and every, everything that you create. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of that uh, is nuance and a lot of that is subtlety. And it is not easy when you have, uh, we make 100 movies a year. So, you know, clearly uh, some of the stories are, are more similar than we like. But at the end of the day, it's all about feeling good. It's all about positivity. It's all about, you know, how uh, the story gets told. And we've taken great pains over the last five years to really improve that process, improve our storytelling, improve our, our writing. Uh, improve the casting, improve the production values, and we've uh, we've also made great progress there. It's another one of the big keys to our success. I mean, if you get you obviously have a great product, and and I don't mean to demean it by say comparing it to say McDonald's, but when Ray Kroc came along and systematized the production of a great burger, that allowed them to produce it at scale. Do you, do you have a toolkit of methodologies to get a film out? So you've you've said you've raised the game creatively, but is there also a a machine behind it, a sausage factory, as it were, that that gets these out according to certain deadlines and budgets and so on? Certainly, from a fiscal point of view, we're very responsible. We uh, and we have a we have a a great team in Los Angeles and in New York who, who work on all these productions and who, from the moment something is approved for uh, for production, they are all over the director, the producer, the talent, the script, uh, and they do a great job at that. That said, there isn't a formula. We don't have a, you know, there. you would think there would be a, okay, boy meets girl, and, you know, from there on out, the romance plays out, and we have to plug it into a formula. We, uh, we try and be a lot more creative than that. Well, of course, and if it was all plain sailing, it wouldn't be much of a movie, would it? There's got to be some True. stress yes. and conflict yes. and tension along exactly. the way. Otherwise, where's the yes. drama? Exactly, exactly. And we uh, we really we we look to highlight that, but not in a way that makes our viewers uncomfortable or that creates a lot of anxiety. Do you watch all 100 movies? I watch all 100 movies and read all 100 scripts. That's incredible. Yes. So you must get quite a sense of satisfaction that when you know an idea is pitched or a script is in genesis and then you actually see the finished result. I think we're on to the next one so quickly that we've forgotten about the ones that we have uh, <laughs> that you've read and watched. And, and uh, I mean, certainly there's uh, there is a feeling when one turns out particularly well. But uh, we are extremely prolific, obviously, in this area. And so uh, there isn't an awful lot of time for uh, reflecting and Self-congratulations. A, a lot of uh, media industry leaders sometimes can't even watch the finished products because they end up nitpicking or they see what's wrong with it rather than what's right. I mean, I run a business as well. I often put a lot of my energies day to day in the things that aren't working in the business so I can fix them. But on the other hand, it still is quite a sort of rolling the sleeves up type situation. It's a great point. And I only watch the network cut. I don't watch the final cut unless I watch it on air uh, because I go through exactly that same feeling. It is, And it's very, very uh, frustrating when you see something that was not fixed that you felt like you could have had input into or that you missed. Very frustrating. <laughs> and something that, uh, you know, we all we all live through. And I guess a sense of perfection is, uh, is a good thing, but it can drive you crazy too. I wrote a book a couple of years ago, and uh, one of my friends who had also published a book said, the one thing piece of advice he wanted to give me is the minute it was published and it was in the shops, never open it again, because then it's too late if you spot a mistake. So I've honored that, I've honored I that promise. That. I love that.
love that advice. Well, there's nothing you can do. All it'll no, do is chew isn't. you up. Yes, exactly right. And it will. <laughs> it certainly will. Uh, uh, but that said, uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, it is uh, – I love my job and I'm fortunate to be where I am. Oh, we've got tons of, uh, tons of questions about that coming up. Uh, what are the advantages of having your company anchored to a legacy brand like Hallmark Cards? I mean, that's, as you mentioned earlier, it's over a century old. Incalculable. Uh, the fact that, that we hold such a special place for consumers in terms of they think of us and when, we, when they go to celebrate an occasion or a birthday or a holiday or something meaningful, that we're at the center of it. And you cannot measure the importance of that and what that value brings to our, our business. Uh, you know, if you put another name on our network, it wouldn't resonate nearly the way it does with the Hallmark name attached. I mean, sometimes if I have a tough day at work, I'll deliberately come on and on my TiVo or SkyQ, as we call it back in the UK, um, you know, I put on a comedy or something quite lighthearted. You know, is is there something to be said about, you know, in this, that the Hallmark channels are providing entertainment that's positive and celebratory and appealing to views of all ages, given that we are in quite a divisive world politically and there seems to be a lot of uncertainty? Maybe it is, you know, in a sense, comfort. Films, that's comfort a highly motivating factor for me. Uh, well, I get countless letters from people who really reference that and who are, uh, you know, may have had a bad day or maybe going through a bad time in their life or maybe just turn us on to get away from a lot of the other sensational. The majority of content on TV is really uh, uh, tough to watch uh, or or really seeks to shock rather than entertain. So, uh, so we take a lot of pride in the fact that we are really the only entertainment network out there that is that consistent 24-7 and that we can offer that respite to people uh, that are looking for that moment of feeling fulfilled or feeling positive. People often say to me, you know, aren't people going to get bored of all these same stories and 100 movies and how do you do that every, every year? Uh, but I think the reality is there's no – sense of uh, feeling too positive for t too much positive that that you uh, people love to feel positive and and so uh, you know we'll uh, we'll keep producing movies and and making people happy look if I, if I want to see a senator held to account I want to watch NBC's meet the press if I, if I'm looking for a, a positive d distraction that can help me relax from a tough day and recharge me for the day ahead tomorrow then I'm going to watch your movie okay. do, do you think there is an element of cynicism sometimes that critics say your content's too saccharine and almost as if it's you know just shallow as it as if it's not needed no question uh, we have had two of the top rated, uh, depending on the week, uh, our series, two of our original series, which we also produce, we produce uh, four original series a year. Two of them uh, have been number one in total audience over the past three weeks. And, and I think if you look at that record and you look at the success of our original content, um, and if we had been doing something that was more sensationalized or something that was quote-unquote pushing the envelope a little bit more, we'd be on the front page of The Hollywood Reporter every, every week. Uh, but because our content is viewed as being a little bit more uh, uh, saccharine, the, we don't get the headlines and the awards that, frankly, we probably deserve. And one thing that must frustrate your critics is that they can't argue with the numbers because the minute it's like you say, you've you've cited some of them, they all undermine their case. Yes, that so is, it's, that it's is more, true. It's more a little bit of just sneering at you without any... I mean, in many ways, yeah, you're outperforming them. We get, yeah, we get, we, we, there are plenty that take shots at us, uh, 
pretty uh, frequently, you know. So it's uh, you, it goes with the territory. That's okay. That's we're we're uh, we're happy to be uh, recognized either positively or negatively. I wonder whether I'm about to pitch a story idea to you now, but one of the hundred movies could be that uh, the chief executive of the Hallmark Channel finally takes on his critics <laughs> and they, they do a mea culpa and finally well, apologise for sneering at you. Certainly uh, I would not be cast in that role. So, uh. Well, I, I think you do yourself a disservice, Bill, but anyway. I mean, Hallmark appeals to millions of female viewers aged sort of 18 to 55. Is that an audience that rivals are failing to reach? I mean, that must be one of the things that they're frustrated about that they're looking down at it really because actually that's the kind of audience that they want. They're the ones spending the money and they just haven't connected in as meaningful a way as you guys have. No, it's very true. Uh, it's very true. It's frustrating, I think, for our competitors who are targeting that demographic. And I think it's it is frustrating for the media, especially since, you know, when you live in Los Angeles and New York, you have a tendency to have a little bit of a skewed view of the world and, and we're, the coasties. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, a, it's as you know, it's just a much different uh, landscape than it is in in the rest of the country, and and so, uh, what is uh, what plays well here uh, doesn't necessarily play as well in in other places, and vice versa. So, you know, uh, not that we're not popular in New York and L.A. There, there are two markets that we have a very high level of audience within, but I think within the uh, uh, the intelligentsia within uh, both of those cities, it's a little bit different. And just kids as well. I mean, I can remember as a kid growing up when there'd be family movie night and if there was ever a sex scene in there, my sister and I would just absolutely want to die with embarrassment yeah. because my mum and dad were watching it as well. Exactly. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and you know, that's something that... That's uh, one of the ground to that's swallow a, that's, me up. Quite frankly, that's one of the reasons why we pay such close attention or had a programming Michelle Vickery and our SVP of uh, original content, Randy Pope. They read every script too and they watch every movie and, and we all are uh, the censor police in terms of not having anything that's even, uh, even remotely questionable anywhere near our content. Do you think there has been too much reliance on like sexual contents, violence and vulgarity on, on the, of course, on the other channels that have maybe alienated viewers? I think there's no question. I think that uh, it's, it's hard to find something that you can all watch together. And, and I think it's been, you know, very much a race to, uh, to the gutter on, on the content side. It's unfortunate. And it's a, been a big change, I think, in the business over the last, especially 10 years where really anything goes. I mean, Crown has added its own on-demand streaming platform, but you're up against the Netflix and now the new streaming platforms launched by Apple and Disney. I view it as a kind of a abundance mentality that if I'm going to subscribe to you, it wouldn't be at the expense of Netflix. Clearly, what most families can subscribe to several of them. Is is that the, the business model? That, That's exactly right. That you, of course, you're going to have a Netflix subscription, but you can also subscribe to the Hallmark channels. Yeah, we're not a competitor for Netflix as much as we are an alternative to in that landscape of people who love our brand and love our content. And uh, when you look at our numbers again on a total audience basis, during holiday, we reach 80 million viewers in November and December. So there's the a numbers huge are audience. They really, really is. Uh, you know, so if there's a huge audience out there for our content, and we think that, you know, certainly on a streaming service basis, uh, that will continue to grow. I mean, Netflix has thrown literally hundreds of millions at so many different genres. It's, you know, it's, I, I remember subscribing to Netflix and you would get DVDs in the post. I'm, you know, I'm old school. You know, is there a situation where Netflix might decide to take you on where they're going to try and out Hallmark Hallmark because they, they've got the money to throw at it? No question. Uh, I think at the end of the day, though, we, we have a, uh, a way of creating our content and our movies within our brand that gives us... 
a big leg up. Even if even if they, if you can go and you can try and create a competitor to what we do, uh, but we've got uh, that special something within what uh, what we create. The secret and sauce. Our, and, yeah, and our, our executives know it well, and they replicate it time and time again. And I think, too, that our, our attention to detail is just uh, unparalleled to the business. I think Netflix throws a lot of money at content, but I'm not sure how much they really pay attention to the quality. And you, you expect your viewers to be emotionally moved by the content that you create. Do you kind of switch off a little bit to that? I mean, have you become like a, a hollowed out hull of a man, as it were, when you watch them, you think, that will play well, or, or do you still get moved yourself? No, if that's not too offensive are, a question. No, not at all. There are some movies that uh, that just are are so well done, and I have nothing to do with... I, I'll, let me make it clear. The programming team or the creators of the content, I just happen to be along for the ride. Uh, they're the ones who are really brilliant at it. Uh, and there are times there was a movie, Veterans Christmas, this past holiday season on, on Hallmark Movies and Mysteries that was uh, about a veteran who is separated from their dog. Uh, comes The veteran comes home and the dog is still away in Afghanistan. And it's just a beautiful story of the reuniting and, and of her, her journey. Uh, so uh, there, there are uh, many times where our content just reaches a certain level. That if you're not, if you're, if you're not a complete cynic, and you have you a can't pulse, fail to be yes, you, yeah, yes, you, uh, you have to feel something when you watch that story. I have a friend of mine who's a member of a comedy troupe and they perform every Sunday night. I laugh all the time, but he laughs only every five or ten minutes. And he said, look, I've been doing this 30 years. You know, I've heard a lot of these jokes before and I admire them. He said, I just don't laugh. He said, but when I laugh, that means it's good. Because, you know, if I can, if I can, if I can cut through 30 years of doing this. Yes. And you, you feel like you've seen everything at the same time, though. Uh, there are those, uh, those certain special projects and sp- certain special times and performances and storylines and scripts that that just got you. Uh, it's just uh, the way uh, content can resonate emotionally for people. What's a typical week for you then? I mean, you're the, the chief executive, you're running the whole business. Where are you based? Uh, you know, you mentioned LA, we're here in New York. Are you traveling a lot? Tell us about the size of your team. What? Let's talk through the actual business of it. Sure. So I'm on the road a lot. Uh, corporately, we're located in Los Angeles, but I, uh, I live in New York. We have about a third of the group in New York. Uh, it's the ad sales distribution, some marketing people in New York. And then LA is really where the Content is created and marketing created. All the fluffy creative styling. Yes, yeah. yes, along with People the finance and legal and the, the, the guts of the business. So uh, uh, I'm back and forth from L.A. quite a bit. Uh, also, corporately, Hallmark is in Kansas City, so right in the middle of the country. Uh, <laughs> easy stopover on the way to L.A. Absolutely. And uh, I'm there uh, a fair amount, too, just looking at different potential opportunities that we can uh, work together on and ways we can enhance the brand, uh, certainly be it on air or uh, or digital or social or otherwise. So what what is that typical week for you then? Well, I think it depends on where I, I am. Uh, you know, if I'm in New York, uh, there's a tendency to uh, work very late at, into the night. I'll go home and I'll be on calls until uh, uh, West Coast time. You know, the West Coast office doesn't shut down until six or seven o'clock. So that impacts me in New York. Uh, but I'll take the majority of those calls from home uh, and be in normal working hours in New York. Uh, at it's the a full sim- day then. Uh, yeah, it's uh, there's there's a lot uh, you know between the the business side, the creative side, and you know the synergy side. We have uh, we have a lot on our plate. We do it in an organization that's less than three hundred people, which is probably half the size of one of our competitors in terms of staffing. 
uh, we're very cost conscious and we, uh, we believe that we offer a great opportunity for employees to get involved in a lot of things. I know the majority of employees who work within the company. We have a great environment and atmosphere and feeling of team and focus on success for the brand, to serve the brand. And I think there's no, as the old cliche goes, there's no I in team is very, very true. We have a lot of people who don't have big egos and who are very selfless in terms of their pursuit of either distribution or ad sales or the best content on the programming side. So we, uh, we've built a remarkable group. That is very special, and we're accomplishing things that we think are uh, very special as well. How would you describe your leadership style? Uh, you know, I value everyone. Once you're hired, we value people as professionals, and we assume the best. And and uh, we really, uh, I believe, you need to give people at a higher level that ability to run and to be operate. You know, within the guidelines uh, of what you establish, but independently. There are, uh, you know, people who work a certain way that they work better that way, and and that's fine. Uh, you know, in, in terms of, you know, their working habits or their hours or the way they communicate. Uh, you know, I'm very, I, I'm very flexible in terms of adjusting to styles. Uh, the things we're not flexible about and that we're sticklers for are things around the brand, things around the content, things around consistency that just uh, are so important to the success of our business. So I think as long as people are professional and when you're a professional, at the end of the day, you know right from wrong. You know if you're getting the job done. You know if you're not. And so, uh, you know, within those guidelines, uh, people that uh, understand that are always successful. You are right, though, Bill, to say about, the, you know, being so fastidious about guarding the, the brand values, as it were, that almost, you know, if you pull on one string of the tapestry, the whole thing could unravel. And if you tinker with it, you do so at your peril. Especially in this environment, things are so dicey in terms of loyalty and in terms of all of the different options that are out there for a viewer, that if you are, once you lose that trust, once you lose that guiding vision, I think that uh, that's where uh, your business really will suffer. And our business is 85% on the revenue side driven by advertising. So we pay excruciatingly close attention to the detail of ratings, and we are very sensitive to rating fluctuations either way. Our business is predicated on that advertising model being successful. So. Uh, losing, you know, ten uh, percent of our viewers because we're we're not consistent, and losing that loyalty is something we can absolutely not afford to do. And and we will take great pains to ensure that that uh, that we are uh, again establishing those expectations and delivering on them. And you know, are those brand values codified? Is it a bit like the kind of secret formula of Coca Cola that in a safe somewhere in in your office, there's this is what a Hallmark Channel movie will look like, and you've got you know this that you know ten percent of this a smidgen of that. Is it almost that that defined? There are many days that I wish it was because <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's almost like you know when you read something, it's like. Ah, I wish there was a document I could send to this person that would say, here's why this isn't a movie, you know, a movie that w works for us, or this is why it should be someplace else. Uh, but it's it's almost like the old, again, the old adage, uh, I know it when I see it. Yeah. And so, you know, unfortunately, you can't get, because the creative is so loose in terms of, you know, trying to wrap your, wrap, be specific with your <laughs> your critique and specific with your... Uh, you know, your overall view, it is uh, one of those uh, judgment calls, I think, that you have to make. 
Yes, because I mean, the, the Big Mac secret sauce or the special sauce is, is a recipe. They just have to produce it by the litre yes. and ship it out to the restaurants. You guys have to have varieties and changes within it, exactly. even though it's a largely a formula. They're Absolutely. Right. And, you know, you'll, you'll encounter talent who will play a role in a very different way than you envisioned, which will set the movie to be more dramatic at times or to be over the top comedic. So uh, that's why, you know, it's, it's, it can't be a, a secret sauce. It is more of a trial. And as, as you see things, you know, you, uh, you have a good idea as to what, uh, where it fits. So it's been quite a journey. I mean, how big have you become? So it has been a journey. And, and when I took over, we, were, uh, we had two cable networks. One, though, was only in 15 million homes. And Hallmark Channel was uh, not, nowhere near uh, what it is today in terms of popularity or overall appeal. Uh, and so uh, we've grown it from that point in time to now uh, a company that has three cable networks, has a streaming service, has a publishing business, has a podcast, as you mentioned, has is very prolific in digital, uh, has uh, an international uh, unit, an international sales. We've launched in Canada. Uh, we're, we've, uh, and by the way, have the highest rated uh, women's channel in Canada with in partnership with Chorus and the W Network. So we have grown exponentially uh, since uh, in the last 10 years. And we're, we're much uh, bigger than people would think in terms of our revenue success ratings and uh, overall appeal because we're, we're playing in a sea of giants where you've got five or six media conglomerates out there that own everything uh, and were the very well-kept secret uh, within, the, uh, within the entertainment landscape. Do you ever feel that these executives are slightly close-minded to, to, to your methodology because they're, they're a tiny bit threatened by it, that you're, you're doing so well that they almost putting their fingers in their ears? I think that they. Uh, I think that we're a nuisance in a lot of ways. <laughs> you know, um, it's it's uh, it's one of those things that you uh, you look at the success and you because of as we spoke about because of the nature of the content and the nature of the brand and uh, we are easily uh, dismissed to a degree. But I think that uh, deep down, uh, people really respect what we've done. And. What's top of your to-do list at the moment? I mean, not just in terms of like the day-to-day, and I appreciate there's a there's a flow to the, how you do your job in terms of there'll always be scripts to look at, but like in terms of the medium to long-term priorities, what's what's top of mind when you're in the shower thinking, this is what I want to, where I want to take things over the next few weeks and months? You know, I think that we have a great opportunity from the point of view of more synergy with Hallmark Cards uh, and, and working to be more deeply ingrained into both the retail and the greeting side. I think that that's a big opportunity. Uh, the value of uh, our channel in helping Hallmark as well is something that we're, we're, we're focused on. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, it comes down to executing on a strategy. And we have uh, developed what we think is an extremely strong strategy with our franchises, like Countdown to Christmas, like Fall Harvest, like June Weddings. And it's really thinking of innovative ways and approaches that we can continue to drive loyalty of our viewers and to gain more viewers through various ways, digital, social, promotion. Uh, that uh, is is just top of mind every single day because those franchises are so different than anything else on TV. They offer a different value proposition for our distributors, for our advertisers, and for our viewers. 
Ed, uh, they are the uh, the heart of what we do. I mean, countdown to Christmas it meant that you guys routinely out deliver the broadcast networks on weekends throughout the holiday season. For that, sure, that's an incredible achievement yeah. at ESPN, which runs college football. So you know, it's a it's a very competitive time of year, and to be number one throughout that time of year speaks to how successful those franchises are and how important it is to continue that success. So top of the list is is uh, reinforcing that in whatever way is possible. Again, whether it be on the creative side or the business side from an advertising distribution point of view, that's always uh, top of mind. I mean, from a commercial point of view, you should be glad that your competitors aren't looking at your business model and your management style more closely. But do you ever feel a tiny bit of slight incredulity, incredulity I should say, that, um, you know, that they should take a leaf out of your book a bit more and they'd perhaps be more successful themselves? Shocking. <laughs> it is It is truly shocking. Uh, I think a couple of them are going to be going for us uh, this Christmas, but, you know, I, nobody does a, a Christmas movie the way we do. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think that, and I, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but I think that egos and I think that what gets written in the press becomes the North Star. And I think winning awards becomes very important to organizations. And I think that, you know, the ability to quote-unquote, uh, do something out of the box is something that appeals to the creative community in a way that keeps them focused on different types of content. And to our benefit, uh, most cable networks and most streaming services are looking to uh, win awards and gain media attention, and they aren't looking necessarily to serve the most viewers. And it's to their detriment that they're not doing that because in terms of how they would, you know, define success, define brand, loyal audience, uh, sustainable, financially, making good money, these are all things that you're doing. And, and frankly, they're, many of them aren't. Or they're certainly not ticking all of those boxes. Yes, there's no question. Uh, you know, I, I think one of, the, one of the things, the biggest change in the business over the last 10 years has been the emergence of these big conglomerates who have purchased multiple cable networks and who operate those cable networks like a portfolio. You've got four or five companies that own over 10 cable networks, and, and the ones that do uh, just don't pay attention to those individual brands the way they once did. When USA they just see was, it as a portfolio brand. Exactly. When USA was uh, an independent uh, cable network and it was just USA and then sci-fi later on, USA had a distinct brand and a, a very strong focus on what they did and what their content was and, and what that meant and, and paying attention to the ratings, paying attention to the, the programming schedule and really paying attention to every little detail. I think now that they're part of a suite of 25 cable networks at the end of the day, it's what's USA's number this year, plus five, fine. You know, it's there isn't an awful lot of discernment around the brand and around paying close attention to what, you know, at the very top of those organizations, what happens. Will you guys always be independent or are you having to fight off interested suitors? We, uh, we've we gotten uh, many, many calls, especially over the last two or three years where, uh, you know, there's uh, a lot of interest in when you're number one in fourth quarter is such a key time for retail and such a key time for many advertisers. And, and with the key demographic for, as well, yes, the spending demographic. Yes, certainly that catches people's attention and, uh, and certainly the way we do it very cost efficiently with uh, that drives a strong bottom line. Uh, we're a very attractive option out there, but uh, but there is absolutely no uh, uh, consideration of any type of, of sale of, uh, of our business. 
I'd like to talk, if I may, for a bit about your connection with the viewers. I mean, you mentioned the kind of quantitative sense that the, uh, you know, the, the ratings, but is there a qualitative thing? Do you do you engage with them on social media? How communicative are you with them? I mean, and do you deal with viewer complaints? I mean, if, if you cancel a show or they don't like a popular finale to a storyline or something like that, is how do you deal with your actual viewers? I think one of our uh, head secret weapons is our social media team. They are extremely active and strong, and and uh, and really work uh, very hard. When you have this much original content, you know they're always on call, and they're always responding one way or another. So, they are prolific in terms of their ability to support our content and engage with viewers. Uh, that's where we do it the most. Uh, certainly on the digital side, we have a place where you can make comments, but it's really in social where the rubber hits the road, uh, and and it can be very frustrating when you get the feedback that. You know, a movie didn't go over as well as we had hoped or a character didn't. Uh, there was dissatisfaction on a character or a location or on a storyline. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it goes with the territory. Uh, but engaging with our fans is, is something that is, is very, very important, especially because we have such a loyal group of fans. Uh, it's not, The Hallmark experience is not one where you turn the channel on and off and, you know, we're just happen to be in the favorite channel group. We consider ourselves uh, almost a club of people who love what we do. And so keeping them happy and making sure that we uh, are listening to them and hearing them is very, very important. And do, do you connect with them yourselves directly? Do you have like focus groups or are there ways that you can actually have a more meaningful experience talking to them? Great question. And focus groups are a big part of what we do. We do uh, at least uh, six two-day sessions a year, uh, sometimes more, where, and in different cities, not just Los Angeles or New York. Uh, and all we, I myself travel with the head of programming and, and the head of original content, and we uh, we listen for two days <laughs> about, uh, you know, the, the good and the bad about uh, what our content, how, how we're doing. And that's a very important report card to be taken and analyzed and utilized in a way that informs our decision making moving forward. And it cuts to your leadership style in, in terms of if there are any uh, teaching moments, as the Americans will call it, learning outcomes, that, that you can de- determine what it is. Because if a, if a movie doesn't play particularly well, that there could be innumerable reasons why that might be. It might be the wrong location. The director might not have got a scene stage right. An actor might have portrayed it slightly off. It could be a script problem. I mean, you're the person who has to forensically break that down from a, an expression of dissatisfaction in terms of, OK, here's the, the components that went wrong within that. And it'll drive you crazy. When, <laughs> when, you, when you have a, we had a movie a couple of years ago that we just thought uh, hit on all cylinders, had a great star in it, had somebody who's popular with our audience, and the rating came in and was significantly under what we thought. So we focus group tested it. We found out that the amount of conflict in the beginning of the story was something the viewers just did not take to, did not like, felt that there was no way that amount of conflict could be was they felt it was irreconcilable. And so uh, they did not uh, enjoy the movie. And we had thought that we had established some really great moments of, uh, of conflict, but they were over the top, as it turned out. And, and so we learned a lot from those focus groups. And that helped inform the way we create movies to this moment. Because ultimately, you know, everyone says they listen to their customers, but it, it, it seems to even now still be quite unique to actually do it rather than just say it, what you guys are. And again, I, you know, as, just because of the loyalty factor, it's, it's, it's so important that we, uh, that we get it right and that people feel like they're listened to.
We've had a lot of people sitting in that chair and I often ask them, do you have a, an actual viewer or listener or reader in mind? And some editors and uh, chief execs will say, yes, it's my next door neighbour. She's this, she's that and blah, blah, blah. And I have her in mind when I'm thinking about a script or an issue. D do you have that? I is it a, a general, like a generic demographic that you're aiming at? Or do you often like, kind of visualise an aunt or a, an uncle or someone, a, a family situation when people are consuming this content? Interestingly enough, and that's a very interesting question too, I think I see a I see a room full of people. <laughs> Maybe it's because I attend so many focus groups, but I, I look and I think of a room of people and whether they would enjoy the scene or whether two people sitting on a couch can buy into a storyline and can feel like the storyline makes sense and it isn't contrived. So we have a lot of co-viewing. We have a lot of people who watch together, both husband and wife and, and couples or families. And so it's those, one thing that we've done exceedingly well, I think, over the last three or four years is cut those moments out of our content that you'd look across the room at somebody and say, oh, come on, you know, why are they doing that? They would, that would never happen. Trying to be much more authentic in the stories that we tell has been a, a key goal and something that we, uh, we strive to do. So it's that dynamic, I think, that we have in mind when we create our content and, uh, and certainly with a room full of, uh, of people who are uh, – Focus group participants and watching and on every word turning the dial one way or another is something that's uh, uh, that we consider. And do you do you have a, a kind of core team of directors, editors, and producers? I mean, I know just from watching standard network television that you often like uh, CBS's show Elementary. You know, there's only sort of five or six directors that they use, and you know when the credits are rolling at the beginning that it's going to be one of those six names. Uh, is is that a similar proposition with yourself that you know out of those hundred movies, twenty of them are going to be directed by Bob? Uh, not at that volume, but probably you know there there's a core group that we work with that will direct probably eight to ten of our movies uh, every year. Uh, and then there'll be, you know, I mean, it, it just by nature of the volume that we do, we need to work with a lot of different people, a lot of producers, a lot of directors, a lot of talent. Uh, it takes a lot to create that that volume. Uh, so, you know, within our original series, obviously, there are just a few. Uh, but within our movies, uh, we run the gamut. Uh, and we employ a lot of people in, in uh, both Canada and the U.S. And we're proud of that, too. What have been the biggest teaching moments for you along the way? I mean, you know, presumably a couple of decades from now when you retire and you write a memoir, what are there going to be a few of the set pieces in there? It is all about for, for and, and I hate to keep going back to it, but it's just such a critical piece of uh, the way the entertainment landscape is evolving that if, if you are not consistent, if you are not brand focused, if you are not in a position where you are creating that expectation and delivery on the expectation, I think you have very little chance for success. And that's just going to grow as the universe grows and as more options uh, become available. And, and that is just the the core premise that that makes us successful. I think the other piece is uh, is the brand and and really leading how much we have taken advantage of the assets that the brand provides for us uh, as as just uh, uh, things that we have done uh, uh, pretty well. What's your personal journey, if you don't mind me asking? What did you study at university and college? What did you always want to do with this? How ambitious were you back in the day? I've gotten very lucky uh, throughout my career and really well, even in terms hours a day, I think you've made your own <laughs> luck there, Bill. <laughs> well, even in terms of college, I got lucky. I uh, went to Holy Cross College in Worcester, Massachusetts, which was a uh, wonderful liberal arts school that not only teaches you uh, strong academically, but also in terms of 
the whole person and the whole approach toward life and other people and serving others. It was, uh, it, it was, it's the framework of who I am today. And what did you want to do back then? What was your so, ambition? Yeah, so, you know, I, I, uh, I thought maybe I'd teach. I thought maybe I'd go into law. I thought, you know, a few different things along the way. And I kind of fell into the advertising business and, and uh, uh, was, again, that's where I got very, very lucky. And I got even more lucky in that I uh, didn't really like the advertising side. And so I moved to the research side. And I uh, got involved in, in uh, research at an independent rep firm that reps uh, local stations around the country. So we worked on 100 different markets around the country. And that is the best trading ground for learning numbers that one could ever ask for. You're working on primetime broadcast networks. You're working on independence and fringe. You're working on late night. You're working on sports. You're working on every conceivable different genre of content out there and analyzing the numbers across 100 different markets in the U.S. So you're really getting a good feel for programming and you're getting a good feel for the numbers that are the backbone of this business. Because without that commitment to the, the data and therefore the numbers, you've got no sustainable business because you have to be, to state the obvious, commercially sustainable exactly to keep churning out these right. movies. And, and we don't, again, we don't enjoy the license fees that our competitors do. So uh, we, we uh, are not in the position where ratings don't matter as much. A lot of our competitors get 50 cents, 60 cents, a dollar per sub from cable operators. Our average fee is a lot less than that. So, so you have we, to sing for your supper every night. Exactly. And so paying attention to those rate, I can't imagine doing my job without knowing the numbers inside and out. And that research background uh, gives me that advantage. Then I got even luckier in that uh, uh, I don't I believe was, this look, by the well, way. I think you've well, worked hard. I, well, I, had, I, got, I got recruited to go over and research at the Family Channel, which was at the beginning of cable, really, the genesis of cable back in 1988. And uh, cable was still, you know, an emerging business at that time. And so I ran research there for two years and really enjoyed that and then learned the cable business. And one of the, the, the head of sales recruited me to go be in sales. And, and I never saw myself in sales ever, never, ever, never. <laughs> uh, I had this vision of sales as being selling encyclopedias door-to-door -door, selling insurance or doing something that you would uh, – the phone would be hung up on you on a, on, a, on a very frequent basis. The best way to sell is to not sell. Uh, that's so true. And advertising is like that. It's, it's developing relationships. It's establishing trust. It's uh, really being a proponent of your brand and believing in your brand. And it was something I very much believed in, family television family channel and we were highly successful throughout that period of time and so i uh, i did that for 10 years before i got recruited to go run ad sales at hallmark so you started at hallmark as doing ad sales yes so i uh, i ran ad sales from uh, 2000 through 2009 uh worked uh as as hallmark was finding its way in the entertainment business throughout that period of time uh, I was uh, on the front line uh, positioning the product and learning what worked on the advertising side for Hallmark and what some of the potential opportunities might be. And I always thought that, you know, something like a Countdown to Christmas or something like a, you know, something that was a little bit more targeted. So you created be, those brands? Would be, well, our team has been instrumental in in uh, the franchise strategy that over the last six or seven years we've really focused on and honed in on. This will be the 10th year of Countdown to Christmas. Uh, so, yeah, the team was instrumental in, in uh, really brainstorming those 
franchises and create that content. And, those... and how did he become leader then? Was it like an episode of Game of Thrones then? Was it a decidedly unhallmark channel esque uh, well, fight I, to the death I, between well... you and a load of other executives? <laughs> uh, fortunately, Hallmark does not work that way. Uh, and there had been four CEOs that I had served previously that uh, for one reason or another uh, just didn't stay. And, and so I uh, ultimately, uh, by uh, in a war of attrition, <laughs> I, I, uh, I was fortunate enough to get the call. And, uh, you know, this is where my English literature background at, at Holy Cross became so important as I got more involved in the creative side. I had that to draw on and storytelling and character and all of those things are, are very important. And 30 years later, now all of a sudden I'm referring to things that I learned back in, in college, which is quite fulfilling, I will say. Because I think that the value of a liberal arts education is, is uh, I can't say enough about it. So, you know, uh, at the end of the day, again, I've been in the right place at the right time a lot. And I've had great people around me, which is the key to success, I believe, for anybody. Having smart people who are uh, in it for the right reasons and who are not focused on themselves, who are focused on the business and who are uh, uh, just hardworking yet work work to live and not live to work. I think that that philosophy, those philosophies are critically important to success. But you clearly have a strong personal work ethic yourself, to your credit. I do, uh, but I would never require or demand other people to, I'm insane, I think. <laughs> you know, so, uh, so you know, I, uh, it goes with the territory to a degree that I have to be hyper-focused 24-7, uh, which, uh, which I never stop thinking about the business or stop living and breathing it. But at the end of the day, I want my executives to have enjoy their families, enjoy hobbies, enjoy life outside the office. I think it's it's just so important to their success and to the organization's success. And, and in fact, every year around this time, I urge people, July and August, great time to, you know, take your vacation with you, have plans or not, just get away. It's, uh, it's just important to recharge. What do you find personally most challenging and hardest about your job? I think it's if I could, uh, if I could indulge you a, a small sure. grumble. It's it's a it's a it's a uh, it's an important question. It's the competing priorities. I think of uh, all of the different areas and all of the different places. And it's I think it can be a mind game to a degree that there is getting moving from worrying about the competition, worrying about what the landscape will look like and making that actionable and thinking about innovative ways that we can continue to beat the marketplace and continue to be successful. So it's channeling that energy of worry into something positive, which is being creative and thinking innovatively. And that's a challenge for me on a daily basis. And, and the trades and the, the media just, I think, it, you know, this isn't, uh, this isn't to be disparaging in any way, but I think that that... Uh, the media just encourages that type of thinking because every headline is a, is everybody's trying to get the next story that is the one that is the to identify the next game changer, and there are a lot of people trying every day to identify the trend that is happening that is going to revolutionize the business and change the way things are done, and so. Uh, reading the trades can actually be an anxiety-filling experience because you are, uh, you know, you're reading about all of these great things other people are doing, and then you're reading about how the business is is uh, deteriorating and evaporating right before our eyes, 
and how uh, you know in, in two years uh, none of us will be here, <laughs> and it'll be uh, it'll be a lot of streaming services, and uh, and it'll be a very different business model. So it's taking that fear and that worry and that overall bucket of just parade of horribles and and migrating that to uh, to someplace that's more positive and productive. It, it's human nature, though, isn't it, for journalists to focus on the new? I mean, you consistently delivering an amazing amount of results week in, week out is boring to anyone. No, that's not to demean you or anyone, but Hollywood reporters should be covering what you're doing because that, in a sense, that, you know, all these learning outcomes that you've very kindly shared in this podcast is actually the thing that could transform the industry. But because, like you said, it's not awards-driven, because it's actually, you know, something that's been done well but consistently Consistently, it's not exciting from the media industry's viewpoint. Some of that I understand, and some of that is makes sense because that's what sells publications, and that's what people do want to read about. And and I do get that. It's what where I guess I have the issue is the hyperbole in which things are overstated and headlines are created in ways that can create just very much their own impression. And and so that I find to be anxiety producing. <laughs> and I also find it to be frustrating at the same time. Uh, so it's uh, it's one of those things that that's not productive. That's not a good way to think. But that's the biggest challenge I think that I have in my job is taking that and making turning that into something that's positive. I mean, I have 10% of the, the headcount that you do, but I, I share some of the similar worries. I mean, we live in a society now where no one gives any attention to anything. But, you know, so you're encouraged to kind of just try and focus on too many things. But if you're going to focus on one thing meaningfully, then that by its very nature means you have to exclude other things or delay that consideration of that, which means that your leadership, and the same with mine, is to you have to decide what to focus on. You know, I've got three things that I could focus on after this podcast. And to do any one of them meaningfully means I have to do them in sequential order to the to the exclusion of the other two. Which one comes first? That has to come from me. It's tough. So well said. It is, it is very tough. Uh, it's quite lonely, isn't it? It's excruciatingly lonely uh, because you have to uh, keep your own counsel. And there are many things that you can't share that you know. And there are many things that you want to share and that you need to share. Uh, so it's... Uh, uh, that's where you rely on, uh, hopefully, a, a, a supportive uh, spouse, which I have, and and uh, you are uh, putting yourself in a position that you are uh, able to talk things through because it's uh, uh, very, very, very difficult, very lonely, and because you are, at the end of the day, the decision maker and the one who has to chart the course. George W. Bush, when he was president, once famously called himself the decider. And like you were saying about the media, he was mocked at the time. But actually, that is the job. I, I often come out of big, long meetings and there'll be five or six things that are awaiting my decision and I have to be the decider. That is the job sometimes. And and I do I do take your point as well. I mean, one of uh, my friends once said he's not in any way personally lonely. He's got a wife and your know, family and lots of friends and he's got a great big personal life. But on, in terms of the actual isolation of the leadership, chair he's professionally lonely and that's actually par for the course yeah and you really in, the, in that case you're the only one who can make that decision you can't rely on talking it through with your spouse you've got to be and you make as as you just said it you know you probably thousands of decisions a year and and uh, that is just uh, the nature of of what you do i don't think you ever get used to it either because there are some that are very very tough that are uh, very different and that you have to make and that at the end of the day, uh, you make the call. It's a wonderful position to be in, to look at it from a positive point of view because you are taking ownership 
and you are the one who I, I always wanted to be the one in the chair making the decision rather than relying on somebody else to make it because I feel like I've always felt confident that I'd make the right one. But at the end of the day, that is a lot of pressure. Yeah, because you have to stand by it and you can't take everything into consideration. And even if you hire the right person, sometimes they're going to make mistakes here and there. Absolutely right. Uh, yeah. That's absolutely right. And you have to stand by those people because at the end of the day, they're going to be the people who move you forward too. To, to what extent is um, is the culture of, of your business? Uh, I see this with my own clients. Is some, some of the big decisions can set a culture, but often it's the cumulative effect of lots of micro decisions. Again, very well said. It's uh, you paying attention to detail, as I've mentioned a couple of times now, and and the environment that you create by the little things that you can do in your office are that show people you care and show people that you really mean what you say around you know working to live and not living to work. Those are things that are absolutely essential, I believe, to success and I hope are a big part of my leadership style. You'd have to ask others whether whether uh, I, I practice what I preach, but you know, I really do believe that uh, uh, hiring professionals and giving them the flexibility to do their job, whatever that means, as long as they're within those lines, is critical to our success. We have a lot of listeners uh, to this podcast that are starting out on their careers. They're, they're often doing media courses and, and, and studying or, or they may be in the early years of their career. And, you know, they're incredibly ambitious as well. So they'll, list, they'll be listening to this podcast thinking this guy's, you know, the, the leader of a very successful network and he's doing an incredibly good job. Um, they'll be inspired by that, but they'll also think, what, you know, what, how can I emulate him? What do I need to do more of or less of? Because they want to be the chief exec uh, in, an, in a leadership position, say, 20 years from now. What advice would you give to someone of that age that ultimately is ambitious as yours but is just starting out on their career? Always be prepared. When you walk through the door the first day, whether it's for an interview or whether it's for your first day of work, be prepared. Research the company. Have uh, you know get there a half hour early. Don't be don't be the last one in the door. Don't be the first one out at night. Things that are uh, very actually relatively easy to do. It's it's not hard to be the first not the first one there, but there half hour early. It's not hard to go on the internet and do a little more research on the company before you walk through the door. And go really the extra know mile. what they do. Yes, it's those things that will separate yourself right out of the gate and will establish you as somebody who is serious about their career versus just a job that you're looking to have as the next step out of school. I think that uh, you know, success to a degree at that point is a choice that you every day you wake up and you choose whether you're going to go back to bed for another half hour or whether you're going to get up and get it to work and do your research and know what you're doing that day and be focused. So it, it is a choice that you are making at that age as to whether you're going to be successful or not. Later on, the luck of the breaks and all the different things that, you know, I was fortunate enough to experience come into play, certainly. But if you are prepared, if you are uh, focused in all great, that gives a great likelihood that you'll be successful. Last question then. What is the thing that you've done in your career that you've been most proud of? I think it is that what we deliver in terms of our experience and the high quality content and the things that people can rely on consistently to entertain them in ways that they don't get elsewhere in the media in the entertainment world. So, you know, the fact that on Saturday nights we run an original movie every Saturday night and that that viewers know they can come to our channel, have an experience that's positive, and they can feel good 
I don't think you can measure how positive that is for the overall world at large, and, and not to not to over overstate it. But I do think that that uh, experience that people have is uh, so important and that I feel really good that we can entertain people in that way uh, and make them feel good. That by far and away is, uh, is just uh, uh, something that we take very seriously and, and that we're very proud of. Bill, I think you've every right to be proud of what you and your team have accomplished. Uh, it's been a hugely enjoyable conversation. Thank you. Well, thank you. Likewise. Good to be here. A Right Angles podcast in association with Big Things Media.